So 25 years ago on November 6th, I remember the date because it was my birthday, I got in a little low-speed car accident. It had snowed. I failed to uh, properly navigate a stop sign and slid about six feet out into the intersection at about two miles an hour and stopped there. And I had time to look up and see the car uh, that was going about five miles an hour, could tell it was not going to stop. The driver of that car and I made eye contact and like, okay, here we go. We're about to have an accident. And uh, indeed, she hit sort of the driver's side door and it was very low speed, a, a non-event. Uh, she was quite upset. I assured her, this is on me. I should have stopped. I didn't. And I told the police officer that and he hit me with a big ticket. Uh, that was not the worst of it. Uh, for about the next month, Austin, who was three years old at the time, became the self-appointed uh, sheriff to make sure that I didn't wreck the good car, mom's car. And so he would go, every time I was going to take Sherry's car, he would go with me, sitting in the car seat in the back, barking out orders like, stop now, go slower, don't hit anything, you know, it's like, oh my goodness. But I did get this big ticket, and when the officer gave it to me, it was a little surprising, and he said, look, if you go to court, the judge will cut this way back. Well, this is not a Chicago story, but I actually knew the judge, and so uh, after I got my court date, I called this guy, and I said, Dave, I'm showing up to see you uh, on Tuesday morning. Uh, I am scheduled uh, to be, you know, in your courtroom. How does this work? Do I need to tell somebody that I know you? Do you need to recuse yourself? How is this going to work? And he asked me a couple questions about the accident, and he said, look, uh, this is a small town. I know lots of people, and this is a very boilerplate thing. He said, I can almost tell you right now how I'm going to rule. There's a lot of, there's a lot of protocol. There's a lot of, of standard sort of orders on this kind of thing. He said, so, uh, no, you don't have to tell anybody. He says, but just understand, <laughs> you're going to get justice. You're not going to get mercy. You're not going to get grace. Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to issue uh, an opinion and, and, you know, it'll be reduced, but not as much as you want. Uh, so today we are continuing a series that uh, actually I began in India. And if you need a reminder of that, I'll put these on. <laughs> so that 10-minute video clip took us five hours to film. The first couple hours were lost because we were trying to do this from uh, the, the burial side or the martyrdom side of Thomas, right? The Apostle Thomas. And we spent forever trying to get permission. We have a whole film crew out there and they will not give us permission to film anywhere close. They won't even let us in the end film in the parking lot of that place. So finally, okay, we drive back and we try to do it at the HBI campus and uh and we couldn't get 10 minutes without some loud noise interrupting everything. There's a lot of people in India. And uh, so it, we just kept over and over and over trying to film this thing until finally we got it. And it was hot. And so at some point I put these glasses on and didn't remember to take them off. And my, our son Ben works on the uh, tech team a few hours a week, uh, mostly over at the Crossroads campus. 
And so he's on the receiving end of the video when it comes. And so uh, we get this video, we get this email back, like, Dad, what's with the Blues Brothers glasses? Uh, this is a mission from God. You look blind in this video. So we briefly thought about reshooting it, and I said, no, just go with it. So anyway, uh, the trip to India was, was great. The work that HBI is doing is, is exceptional. It's unclear at this moment. Uh, whether we're going to do the work that I talked about us doing. It's, it's complicated, very difficult, very difficult uh, to, to actually rescue these women. And so HBI is working on it. We're working on it. We'll figure this out. Uh, we, I sort of committed and said, yes, we want to help. So let's figure out exactly what that looks like, and we'll keep you posted. So uh, anyway, I started this series, uh, Kingdom Come, and talked then a little bit about this idea of the kingdom of God, right? That a kingdom is where the king's rules apply. The kingdom of God is where God's rules, God's heart, his grace, his love, his mercy, his ethic, right, is in place. Whether that's a geographical area, such as uh, heaven, whether it's our heart, the, the kingdom of God is, is coming, it's expanding. And so we're looking at that, and in particular, uh, in Luke 18, we have a parable to sort of set things in motion about prayer and about persistence and justice. And it's uh, the parable of the unjust judge. It's Luke chapter 18. Let me read beginning with uh, verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who, was neither, who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Uh, there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she will eventually come, um, and so she won't eventually come and attack me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will come that they will get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So there's a few things uh, to note here about this story. Uh, there are some of them that are obvious. We've got a contrast here between a man and a woman, between somebody that has power and somebody that doesn't, between somebody who's arrogant and someone who's broken and persistent. Some of the things about this parable are perhaps not immediately obvious. So let me just say, this parable comes uh, as sort of a capstone on a section of Luke's gospel that is unique to Luke. So there's four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are a lot alike. They follow a very similar pattern or outline. We call them the synoptics because they're so synonymous. John is quite different, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are quite alike. But there is some material in Matthew that's not in Mark and Luke, and there's some material in Luke that's not in Matthew and Mark. 
Mark is very short, doesn't have much of anything that isn't covered by one of the other three Gospels. But Luke has this extended session with a lot of stories and a lot of parables. And, and it's unique to Luke, so the lost coin, the lost sheep, prodigal son, all only found in Luke's Gospel. It started in Luke 13. We're coming to the end of that. Not entirely, but we're coming to the end of that. And this parable is a little bit of a capstone. And it, it follows immediately a Q&A session between Jesus and his, and his followers, his apostles, in which they have asked, how does this end? Right? When does it end? When are you coming in power? Right? When are things going to get made right? What will that be like? And Jesus has reported uh, to them. He, Jesus generally um, answers questions with questions or he answers them in ways that you've got to think a long, long time about what he said. What he has answered to them in uh, Luke 17 is that it's going to be hard and dark and there's a lot of, there's just a, it, it, there's a, it's a, it's a heavy passage. And then immediately after that, he tells them this story. So as we understand the story, as we interpret the story, we need to, we need to keep that context in mind. Second thing that we need to understand is that uh, Jesus in telling this story, sets up an extreme situation. Okay, so um, this widow has been wronged twice. So somebody wronged her, and now she's been wronged by the judge, who perhaps has been paid off by somebody. So she's not getting justice. The fact that she shows up in the courtroom uh, suggests that this is not going to go well, right? So in that culture, women did not have many rights. So for a woman to show up in court without a, without a husband or a father or a brother or a son or a nephew or an uncle or some male neighbor to advocate for her almost immediately sets up uh, her to fail. So she's pretty desperate and pretty lonely in this setting. In that culture, uh, generally, when uh, a man dies, the, the property, the, the collective property of the husband and wife would go to his brother, not to her. And then she could, would generally become uh, a second or a third wife to this other man, which was barely a step above uh, sort of prostitution. And then when the money, when that brother money, brother's money is gone, then she's probably put out on the streets. So this is still going on in parts of the world today. You helped fund uh, the, the studies of Rose Galadima a few years ago through global missions we funded uh, through Scholar Leaders International, in particular Rose Galadima. She was here uh, at studying at Trinity, was here at Christ Church some, and she was looking at how to stop this practice in Nigeria. So the laws in Nigeria changed. The property is jointly owned. But the practice in many parts of Nigeria had not changed. The, the wealth would all go to the brother. And so she was uh, trying to figure out, probably graduated in 95 or whatever, went back to, to Nigeria to try and uh, challenge these principles. That's the situation. So this is, a, this is a desperate situation that this woman is in. And it, it's, nobody's thinking she's going to get justice. Right? As Jesus tells this story, 
And, and the reality is she probably is, is in front of a Roman judge, which makes it even worse. So there were three courts at that time. The, the highest court of the land was the Sanhedrin. This was the about 70 uh, Pharisees and Sadducees that were the ruling body. They interpreted religious law, the Old Testament and oral traditions. They were the ones that sort of oversaw Israel under Rome, right? Because it's the part of the Roman Empire, the Romans have taken over, they're occupied. It's Roman law at, at, at the top, but the Romans would let all of these occupied peoples have some governance of their own. So the Jews, their governance was this collection of judges, these, these people who would interpret the religious law, Sanhedrin. Under the Sanhedrin was a uh, was called the Lesser Sanhedrin, and this was a bigger towns would have their own little council, and about twenty Pharisees and Sadducees that would be doing the similar kind of thing regionally. But then there was a third level of courts; and these were Roman courts, and and this was criminal law and civil law that wasn't going to be applied by under a religious setting, and so. The Roman judges were notoriously corrupt and bad. Their name uh, was, they were called the robber judges. So it's a little bit of a play on words because the, the Aramaic term was, they were prohibition judges, but in the Aramaic, if you change one letter in prohibition, you get robber. So they're the robber judges. And we're told about this particular judge that he doesn't fear God and he doesn't fear man, right? He's no respecter of any people. So this guy, we're being told, this is a bad judge, right? He's, he's got his own little kingdom, his courtroom, where he does whatever he jolly well pleases, right? Whatever's in his best interest, <laughs> that's what he's going to do. And uh, so in this setting, you get justice probably in one of two ways. One, you pay off the judge. Secondly, you threaten the judge. Right? I know, hey, judge, we know where your kids go to school. So just so you know, uh, you want this to end well, you better rule this way. Well, this widow doesn't have any money and she doesn't have any power. Right? She can't do either of those. But she wins by being persistent. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, what the judge eventually says is, uh, I'm out. She's beat me up. She has, literally, it's a boxing term. She's given me a black eye. So you can just see, she, you know, he comes out in the morning to walk to uh, the courts and uh, there she is, and she goes, hi, judge, it's me. I just thought I'd walk along with you and uh, just, you know, re- remind you of the details of my case because you've not given me justice. So let's go over it again. Maybe you're a little slow. Here's what happened, right? And so he goes into the office, and then, you know, at lunchtime he comes out, and she goes, hi, here I am. I just thought I'd take advantage of your lunch break to remind you of the details of my case. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the day, there she is walking back with him. Just, she's just as persistent. And then, you know, at the, he gets to his house. She says, I'll see you tomorrow morning. We'll do it again. And eventually he just says, okay, I, 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 I'm out. I tap out. I'm done. She's beat me up. She's won me over, right? Sherry loves the stories. My wife loves the stories of the, you know, the, the 25-year-old 
who's, who's trying to rob an 85-year-old woman, and she smacks him with her, her cane and then puts him in a scissors lock, and, you know, the police are, the police, uh, he's begging the police to, you know, take, take uh, him off of, uh, or her off of him when they finally get there. So this is a bad setting that she's in. She shouldn't be in it. The, the religious law, the Old Testament has got lots of things that say take care of widows. Exodus 22 says take care of widows and, and the fathers. If you don't, it'll be bad for you. Isaiah 117 says do the right thing, pursue justice, take care of widows. Uh, James 1 says, right, this is pure and undefiled religion that you take care of the widows and the orphans. So she should be getting taken care of. She's not. She prevails... By just being persistent in her requests for justice. So that's the story that Jesus tells. What are we to take from this story? Well, in a parable, it's generally a good practice to ask yourself the question, who am I in this story? Am I the lost coin? Am I the prodigal son or am I the older brother, right? Am I the, am I the guy that's beaten up lying on the side of the road or am I the religious leader walking away from him or am I the good Samaritan, right? Who am I in these stories, right? Jesus tells these stories, sort of smuggle truth under our radar and so we ask the question, who am I? And in this particular situation, I think what we ought to ask is, in what ways am I like the judge, In what ways am I taking advantage of my power because I'm rich or because I'm uh, educated or because I've got this position or in this culture because I'm white? In what ways am I taking advantage of my position and I'm not serving others? I'm not using the power at my disposal to take care of those who are poor and oppressed. I think, that's a, I think that's a good question for us to ask. But there's actually a different message being given here. And this is one of those parables where we don't have to, to sort of work it out on our own because uh, we're given specifically the answer. Luke 18 opens with it saying, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Okay, so we don't have to wonder what the message here is. The message is always pray and don't give up. Okay, be persistent. Be persistent. So the context here is of a, of a, of a chaos, right? Because Jesus has just been telling uh, this answering these questions about what's it going to be like, you know, when you come back, when's this going to happen, the kingdom unfolding, what, what are the details there? And he's, he's talked about it being really hard. And then he says, let me tell you a story. And the message of the story is, always pray. <laughs> Pursue this. Endure. Right? It's not going to be easy, but don't give up. And the contrast here, the, the, and this is, this is, common in scripture is is if this person will eventually give you justice right if an earthly father who's broken in so many ways 
will give love and care to his own kids, how much more will a loving, perfect, heavenly father give us what we need? And here it is. If this judge, this loser, this no-count, this self-serving windbag, this, this guy that is broken and ugly in so many ways, will eventually hear the pleas of this desperate woman, how much more will our loving Father hear our request and answer? So for the last... Uh, Six months, I've been doing some work, especially the last month, I've been doing work on the fall series, next fall. And the sermons next fall are going to be out of the first six chapters of Daniel, in which uh, Daniel and his comrades, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they are, you know, they've got this internship in Babylon, (laughs) which they don't want. But they have been been, uh, absconded, right? The Babylonians have overtaken uh, overtaken Judah, and they've taken all the people into exile. And, and there's a few of them, these young men, that get, um, that get pulled into the palace, and they are going to be educated. And, and a, a couple years ago, I started paying attention to Daniel because uh, it's just my sense, many people's sense, that the church in America lost home field advantage. Right? We're not being persecuted, but there were privileges, there were advantages that we've had for a couple hundred years that we're losing at this moment. And so the question when you're studying the first six chapters in Daniel is, so how did Daniel and these guys navigate living in a culture where they don't have any power, where they've lost their voice, where they're not in charge? What does it look like to live faithfully in that kind of a setting? So the sermons are, are, are in that direction. The book that I've been writing has been very different. And there I've been trying to look ahead at the future. What are the, this is not the second half of Daniel. This isn't the book of Revelation. This isn't prophetic, you know, God talking about the future. This is reading demographic studies and tech reviews and, and political forecasts and futurists and all these things that are talking about what's it going to look like. Uh, in the next 10, 15 years. Because we're living in a time of rapid change, right? There are more scientists and engineers alive today than there have been if you add up all the scientists and engineers of the past, right? So there's just a lot of change that's happening. And you can, I mean, you can't predict the future, but a lot of this stuff is in the pipeline. And, And a lot of the demographic trends are in the pipeline. And a lot of this stuff you just go, okay, I just got to connect the dots and say, okay, this is, this is where we're headed. So some of it's very fun and very cool and like, wow, that'll be interesting. Uh, but some of it's pretty dark. You go, uh-oh, what are we going to do about that? Uh-oh, that's not good. Why isn't anybody working on that, right? So looking ahead... I think there are ways in which life will be easier and better. And I think there are ways in which things are going to be a lot harder and more challenging. And so this is a good message for us, right? What do you do when things are hard? What do you do when there's chaos? What do you do when things are broken? The message of Jesus is you pray. You pray, you pray, you pray. And you don't stop pray. Now, some of you would say, well, 
been there, done that, and it doesn't seem to work. Right? So let me be clear. Um, right? God is not a vending machine. We don't get to put in our prayer and then get out what we want. Right? What we are being told in this parable and in other places in the New Testament and Old Testament is that the God of the universe hears our prayers. And that he will answer our prayers. But the answers will be his answers in his timing. Right? And, and here's what I think we can take to the bank. The answers of God would be the things we would ask if we had perfect wisdom and insight. Not necessarily easy. Sometimes we don't need easy. Sometimes we need hard. Not our timing, right? Second Peter 3 uh, with, with the Lord, every, you know, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. It's not our time. I'm not going to suggest that by praying we get an easy path. I, I, it's just not been my experience. Sometimes, sometimes there's very specific answers to prayer, really very much in line with what I asked. Other times, later on, uh, I go, wow, am I so glad he didn't answer that prayer the way I was praying it, right? Because there was something better And sometimes it's just sort of foggy, and you go, okay, I don't know. But here's what I know. God hears our prayers, and we need to pray. The very act of praying, the very act of the submission and the the interaction and the listening to God and 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 the coming into his presence forms our soul in ways that helps us survive what's going on. Prayer is able to conquer fear, right? What do you do when you're scared? You pray. And so that's the message that we are given here. So don't overthink this. Prayers don't have to be long or formal or eloquent, right? Uh, Just talk to God. Use Scripture. Pray. Uh, Let me remind you that um, I've, I've... Many times I've tried to sort of set in front of you this Acts model uh, where A is adoration, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication or requests, right? So it's just an easy pattern to follow in your prayers. Times of praise, times of confession, times of thanking God for what he's done, and then requests. Let me remind you of the 10 plus 10, right? Uh, It's just sort of a floor for what ought to be part of the way we move forward every day. 10 minutes of Bible study, 10 minutes of reading, studying Scripture, 10 minutes of prayer. If you're doing more, great. Don't go back to 10. There's nothing magical about 10 plus 10. I'm just saying this is a, this is a great sort of not in a legalistic way. Don't get tripped out of you. Don't do it one day. But just as a, as a baseline to say, I, I, think, I think you ought to be able to do that. Um, please remember, there at all three campuses before the services, Uh, on Sunday. There are prayer gatherings uh, to pray for the service, to pray for people, to pray that the Spirit of God will move. After all the services, all eight services, right, there are people there to pray. So uh, they're there to pray with you. So you have an opportunity to pray. In your small groups, make sure that part of what you do when you gather every week is you pray together. You pray for each other. And somebody who's keeping track of this and you're checking in during the week and you're praying for one another. Right? We, we need to pray. 
The big idea here is that persistence in prayer is a holy, virtuous, noble, good thing. Bring your requests to God. Let me pray for us. Lord God Almighty, we come uh, before you unaware, unable to fully comprehend what an amazing thing it is that we could uh, simply call you up, enter into your presence in a more thoughtful, specific way. So we thank you for that great privilege, the access that we have. We could not get access to immediate access to people of power in this world, and they have nothing compared to the power and of, of you. So we thank you for this opportunity. And we confess that we have not uh, understood it or always uh, leveraged it as we have been instructed. So I want to pray that, um, that you would help us to pray and that you would bring to mind that this is a, uh, a first step and an ongoing step and that you would teach us to pray in, in ways that uh, help shape and form us and in ways that you hear. Thank you for the promise that you hear. Father, meet with us. I know there are lots of big and heavy concerns and lots of people who struggle to believe that uh, they can keep or should keep bringing certain things before you. Help them to see that this is the way forward. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.